to another edition of Maverick University. I'm your host, David Hallberg. Joining me today again is Brother Jake Robito, Assistant Pastor at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. And we're continuing our conversation about the inspiration, the preservation of the Bible. And we're kind of, we've been going a particular direction, Brother Robito, um, on this. And I would suggest that our listeners uh, would go back and rewatch those episodes so that they can understand why we're talking about what we're talking about today. So if I could just briefly lead us in. We've agreed that by faith uh, that the Bible is inspired. It claims to be inspired. There's obviously evidence for that as well. So it's an argument by reason and faith. Uh, the Bible is preser- preserved according to itself. God has promised to preserve his word. We accept that by faith. And if we accept those two premises, God has given us his word. He's breathed it out. And he has, ins- he has preserved it for us. Then which Bible am I to use? Because there's so many to choose from and things that are different are not the same. Can you yeah, launch us off into this? Absolutely. So the argument of faith is so integral to everything that we do, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yep. And so there is, I believe, the foundation of this issue of biblical authority, mm-hmm. the King James Bible. I think it has to start with faith, that believing that God's word is. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, and once you acknowledge that and you can sort of bring yourself to that belief, OK, God gave us a written word mm-hmm. and he's perfectly preserved it today. It's out there somewhere. Yes. Right. And so if it's out there somewhere, then it should be pretty clear what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So which Bible? And that's sort of, I guess, where we launch off on today is why do we believe that the King James Bible is that perfectly preserved word of God for us today. There's a lot of folks, I think, that are earnestly seeking for that answer. And they're like, well, I, the ESV is good. Or the, this I like this translation. Or I like that translation. Uh, and they've never really, they don't seem to land on a particular one. Um, and so we make the argument that the King James Bible is that preserved, inspired word of God. And obviously there has to be reason for it, historical reasons, um, and probably doctrinal reasons, I imagine, as well, because when you start changing things in the Word of God. It has doctrinal implications. So in our, when you teach your manuscripts evidence class here at the college, where do you start with all of that? Well, we go all the way back to the beginning okay. and cover even what we've talked about in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do eventually get to the point where we have to decide for ourselves which Bible is it, mm-hmm. right? If, if we call ourselves Christians and we believe in God and we believe that he's given us his word, and once again, we believe that it's still perfectly preserved and out there for us today, then which Bible is it? Well, um, there's a, a bunch of reasons why we, why we believe it's the King James. I think it starts out with manuscript evidence. Okay. And, um, and not to get too deep into the weeds on it, um, there's even elements of academia that I, that I, don't even, I don't even bring myself to because I don't need to when I start with the right foundation of faith. Sure. Right. Okay. Uh, but when but when you enter the conversation where we're at, I do think there's some simple um, things that should be understood, even concerning manuscript evidence. And um, one of the one of the important things to understand is just simply where it came from. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the Old Testament of our King James Bible came from the Masoretic Hebrew text. Okay. And um, and by far the most uh, even recognized as far as being the most r- reliable, accurate, you know, Hebrew 
Old Testament text out there. And, and then, of course, the New Testament came from the Greek-received text, which we've heard, you know, many, you know, you've got the, it's called the Texas Receptus, right, compiled by Erasmus, mm-hmm. uh, 1516. You know, you go down a few years, uh, Stephanus's third edition, okay. uh, which is really what the King James Bible uh, New Testament came from, that Greek-received text. Uh, but when you understand which manuscripts were used for the translation of the King James Bible, it gives you great faith uh, in the fact that it is, this is the right Bible. And we, there's a lot of different directions we could go with this. Um, how about identifying where most of these manuscripts were kept and, and preserved? And you understand, um, you know, a paper document doesn't last forever. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. God's words last forever, but these paper documents don't last forever. And so the, it was given um, s- several scribes and different different individuals had the great responsibility of continuing to copy these. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get, once again, too deep into it, uh, but there were different sort of religious centers that had the responsibility of preserving these documents, mm-hmm. right? These these written manuscripts. And um, most we, most of the time, we sort of identify two different streams. You've got those that came from Antioch, right? Uh, and then you've got those that came from Alexandria. And uh, the manuscripts that were used in the compiling of the received text, the Texas Receptus, those primarily came from Antioch. Okay. Whereas those that were used in the Westcott Hort, which we'll get to that in just a, in a couple minutes here, those came primarily from Alexandria. Um, the individual that was really known for being really a, a, a key factor in what was done in Alexandria was the individual origin. And sadly, many Protestant places of education, whether it be colleges or schools or whatever, identify him as being some great church early father. Yeah. The reality is he was a heathen infidel and taught many, many just damnable doctrines and his fingerprints were all over uh, the way that some of those manuscripts were kept and preserved and later influenced scripture uh, through the work that was done there in Alexandria. Mm. So a uh, brilliant individual, but not even close to being doctrinally straight. And so um, you identify those two different streams where those different you know manuscripts, manuscripts came from. Uh, it, it gives you great confidence knowing that you know ours came from Antioch versus Alexandria. Mm-hmm. I mean, all throughout Scripture, even Egypt is identified as being a place of the world. Sure, right. So I've heard that. I've heard that comparison used as well. But when you go back and just look at the facts, um, the ones that came from Alexandria were not accurate. Had a slant on them based mm-hmm. off of origin and, and those that he influenced their doctrine uh, versus the ones that were kept and preserved at Antioch. So that's just one simple part of knowing that manuscript evidence background. I got a question, and I think it's something that a lot of people are going to encounter if they're searching truthfully for what Bible should I use, and they're going to encounter a statement made by people in commentaries or on YouTube videos or whatever, and they're going to say, well, older manuscripts suggest, what do they mean by that? Does older, and what I think what they mean by that is because these are older, they're better. And usually when they say that, they're disagreeing with the way something was translated in the King James Bible. Can you, can you give us what that even means? Are these manuscripts older? And if they are older, does that make them better? Typically, when you hear that statement, it's sort of a straw argument. And 
really, when you hear that statement, that's really not accurate all the way throughout. There are some instances where manuscripts were passed over and not used for a specific purpose, Mm. right? Okay. Um, You know, you think about even Codex Sinaiticus. I think that was discussed in a previous issue. Um, There was a reason it wasn't used. It was in a trash can. Right, yeah. and yet somebody pulled it out. Oh, look at this, you know, et cetera. And so that's it. the older manuscript. And so, I mean, there's yeah. that's one yeah. illustration, but the reality is uh, not everything that's older is always better, mm-hmm. right? And there are oftentimes reasons as these manuscripts were compared and, and contrasted and, and compiled, um, there were reasons why some of them were not used. And it was for accuracy, not yeah. other reasons. And so. if they're unused, that means they probably have a longer shelf life. Yeah, they're unused. I mean, they're unused for a reason. Yeah, and so not everything that's older is always better. And like I said, most of the time they sort of cherry pick. Oh, this argument works for this particular situation, like a smorgasbord, right? You know, and not not even that it's an accuracy uh, argument of accuracy, but more. So, but my point is, it's it, I I find that to be really just a uh, a very broad argument that's used really with no basis. Yeah, it's a convenient argument if you just want to throw it out there and. Without any basis, it is for sure. So you got you know Antioch versus Alexandria, okay. and then you've got uh, then you get into the um, then you get into the West Cotton Hort versus the received text. Okay, and uh, my goodness, I mean this th- this is probably uh, I mean I mean this is definitely a, a situation where you have to know who compiled, who did the work, and you've got Erasmus, um, you know. Uh, we're not going to get into his personal life, but seemed to be a very, you know, a pious, holy individual. And, um, and anyways, there, I'm not going to get into everything, but what a good man who, with good intentions to mm-hmm. get all of these manuscripts that are out there, compile them into one complete Greek New Testament, right? Sure. Um, very capable, very um, credentialed. I mean, just, just a good man. Then you've got, and all of his doctrines and beliefs seem to seem to, to be fine and, and seem to not influence his work. Then you've got Westcott and Hort, and you've got people, just these men, they, they were, they were outspokenly, you know, doctrinally off. They believed in Maryism, worship of Mary. They doubted wow. the literal account of creation. I mean, they, they, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff. They doubted the deity of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, and these these are the individuals that you want to entrust, you know, what manuscripts to include in a New Testament, so right? So while Erasmus was compiling his New Testament in the 1500s, you said, 1516? Yeah, 1516 was sort of when his came out, and there were some, uh, you know, some additions, okay. et cetera. Westcott um, and Hort then were? A little bit later. 1800s? Yeah. I, I believe, um, okay. but much later, and and really their work brought up brought the, the, the modern translations, Got which it. most of the modern translations— that came to America. The first was 1901. So, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. um, so, it was sort of born out of some, the, uh, the I believe in England in the 1880s, and then okay. um, America in the early 1900s. Well, and that's just a time when people are just critical of everything, um, critical thinking, and um, modernism, modern thought. You know, theory of well, evolution is and that starting explains, to take And that explains root. why they doubted creation. That explains why they doubted the deity of Christ. That explains yeah. why they doubted the biblical account of miracles. And um, so, I mean, there is a lot there where they were totally off doctrinally, and yet that's where most of these modern versions get their New Testament from. Um, and so, you know, you, you heard anyways, so that, that's a big deal. Now you can't open the cover of your modern version today and it doesn't say West Cotton Horde. 
right? Okay. So, you know, okay, well, you know, how do you tell? Well, there's there's a lot of different uh, ways to tell, um, but Nestle Elan is one of the, um, you'll see NA, whatever, and some numbers typically. Okay. That's an indication that it was West Cotton Hort. Um, UBS, United Bible Society, you'll see that sometimes in some of these modern versions. That's an indication that they use the West Cotton Hort. Okay. And even, in, in, and I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, but um, even, um, even the quote-unquote New King James Version, which was supposed to be just a simple update of the King James Version, yeah. while they claimed to have not used the West Cotton Hort for that uh, New Testament translation, there are many times where they were influenced based on their comparison of other modern versions, and they chose okay. uh, translations or words that lined up more so with the Westcott Hort New Testament versus the received text. So as they did that retranslation, it wasn't just the King James Bible that was on the desk. No, there no, was no. Other things it's, influencing it's, it's quite work. obvious about that. So okay. uh, that's where I typically start uh, as far as why we believe in the King James Bible. Well, the manuscript evidence backs it up, and... Um, and there is a lot of critical people out there, right? Mm-hmm. You obviously still have to approach this with an argument of faith, right? That belief of faith. Um, but I do believe that when you compare where these different, you know, New Testaments came from specifically, it's pretty easy to identify which one should be used for the English translation. So the biggest argument is about the New Testament. The Old Testament, does mo- do most Bible translations use that Masoretic text as their basis? Not or? everybody. No, really? Okay. Um, not everybody. Uh, but like I said, d- the greatest differences are going to be found in the New Testament. Got it. Okay. But yeah. In, in, anyways, that's typically where, where where you point out the more obvious. And there's differences in the Old Testament. Don't, make, don't get me wrong. If you start with a different source, you're going yep. to come up with a different translation. Mm-hmm. So anyways... Um, the second thing that I guess that we would, would get into, and I don't know if we'll get into it totally for sake of time, is just how it was translated okay. and um, and uh, the type of translation that was used. Do you want to get into that now, or do you want to save that? We could probably save that for another episode for sure, because um, we've used up most of our time for today. But yeah, so you've got the how it was translated. Um, we'll just preview other topics right now. Uh, yeah, type, the type of translation, the character of the translators, who were okay. the men that were involved. The process of translation, mm-hmm. you know, how was it done? Uh, and you look at that compared to any other, uh, compare that to any other translation out there, it's not even close. Um, you look at the motive for translation, you know, why did they okay. produce this translation? And so that's really where you where you get started on that. On, on motive that. argument is not one I had really thought about before because, I mean, when you got 50 other Bible translations, why do you need a the 51st Bible translation. Yeah, the I mean, the motive, you can go back and understand the motive of the translation for the King James Bible mm-hmm. was simply having a translation in basic English that was free without any type of uh, contextual uh, notes. Uh, basically what happened is all the all the translations that had been done in English to that point uh, had a lot of emphasis of notes saying this is what this means or this is how it should oh. be interpreted. So just clear the air, just put it in First plain English. Money. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So, well, we'll get into it in the future here and start t- maybe even talking doctrinal comparisons, text comparisons, and really get into some of the uh, the weeds on this. And I, I look forward to that. And I appreciate you coming in. And I hope this is a blessing uh, to anybody that watches this. I hope that there are people who are searching. Honestly, they believe that the Bible's inspired. They believe it's preserved. And they're wondering, which one should I honestly use? And so I appreciate you coming in. 
Right, yes, make sir. sure you check out our other episodes on YouTube. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and also make a comment on this video if you enjoyed it and share it with somebody that you know will benefit from it as well. Also, check out the audio-only platforms uh, as well. Thank you so much for joining us.